please pray with me. Lord Jesus, we are so grateful that you have formed of us a home in which your spirit dwells. I pray, Lord Jesus, that for all of us in any way in which we have wandered from our true home, that we would come here today to dwell with you. You've done everything you can to invite us to be with you who are so deeply with us have redeemed us to be with you and the Father and the Spirit. Lord, we ask for this gift to be renewed this morning, and we pray it in your holy name. Amen. You may be seated. It's hard to believe that we've um, spent nearly a year with John in his gospel and in his letters and in the revelation that he received from Jesus Christ so that we could learn more about what it means to walk in the way that John saw so clearly with the Lord and learned a lot about. There's different ways we can summarize that. It's, it's a very relational way that he sees. It's a relational way of being and a relational way of doing. And um, I felt the need for that this, uh, this week, particularly as I was anticipating this, um, this sermon. Uh, it kind of hit me that one of my new pastors, some of you probably know that I'm the dean over the Wisconsin churches in our, um, in our province and um, in our diocese. And uh, one of my pastors up in, um, uh, up in um, uh, Delavan just lost his father. And it's only six months since he, since he had lost his mother. And I felt such a pang of loneliness for him. So I realized what that meant for him was that his entire, the people that embodied home for him weren't on the earth in the way that they had been for him. And it made me feel a kind of a homesickness for him, something that I felt must be part of his experience right now. Didn't actually share that with him, but I prayed that the Lord would minister his presence and he would understand that his true home is in him. It reminded me then of another memory that I had when I was just becoming an adolescent. So that's when you start listening to what your parents are saying and parents have to become careful about what your kids are overhearing. Um, and uh, I was listening to her talk on the phone with a friend and um, it was an interesting conversation. There's a few things I remember about it. One thing she said was that life begins at 40, which I, I can't remember her reasoning for that seemed like things went on the decline for me at around that age. Um, but, um, but the other thing that she said to this friend, I think it was her friend Regina Herring, they always talked endlessly on the phone. But one thing I remember her saying, and I, I have no idea why I remember this. She's talking about this book called um, You Can't Go Home Again, or You Can't Return Home. It's by Thomas Wolfe. I can't remember the exact title. Something like that. And in the book, it's, it's basically... The idea is this guy that wrote a book about his hometown extolling its virtues, but his, he goes back to his hometown, and his hometown's upset with him because of how he's portrayed the hometown. And he's realizing that the nostalgia that he felt for the home couldn't be returned to. And um, my mom said, in the one hand, that's true, but on the other hand, it's just wrong because we do have a true home, and it's in, in Jesus and we can live there forever. I remember her saying something like that. And nobody can take it away. 
And I, I felt very much my mother's passion, and she was a passionate person. There's a very big personality with a big voice, and she's talking through the phone, uh, but it's like, it's like resonating with me like a trumpet sound that we can have home and we can have it forever. My mother really, and my dad too, they really communicated that to me in so many ways in our home growing up. I mean, my mom, she would consistently make a meal for us. Um, I say that and I call that out as being unique because how many of us these days actually do that, right? I mean, there was a gathering every day in our home at around 6.15 or 6.30 when my dad would get back from his long commute from New York City. He's a very busy guy and yet we figured out how to do it back then. And so I always knew that there would be food and I always knew that there would be a regular experience of love, of home, and it would be Christ-centered because of what my mom would say about real home. It's centered in Jesus, and uh, it ministered to me. I mean, it was not a home that was perfect. I mean, there's a lot of neurotic behavior and thinking and feeling going on there, and I'm still getting healing for some of that, but it was a place where I felt home, and I, I knew that it was because my parents were trying to live out something that they saw in Jesus. And Paul would say that you saw in Jesus and in the church and the relationship between those two and all of their offspring, you know, because he compares it to himself as the bridegroom and the church as the bride, and John picks up that kind of a theme. And Jesus is saying to the disciples that I'm going to prepare a place for you. And it's a place that you can always be with me, and I will never leave you or abandon you, he says later, and I'm not going to leave you as orphans. He's making a home for us. And uh, it's a little bit of a mystery to the apostles as to how he's going to do it because it appears that he's going away and yet he's making a home for them. Um, well, we have a real desire for this right now. I think this is especially acute need per partly because of what I just said. is like how many of us actually experience home in our homes even if we, we're living together as a family? Um, a lot of us can't enjoy that because maybe we're single and what we're seeing is that there's something called the loneliness epidemic. I just happened to come across two articles this week about how severe this problem is. It's really, they're calling it an epidemic. And um, one of the the articles that I read actually mentioned Kenosha. It was in the U.S. News and World Report on Thursday describing this problem of loneliness that's afflicting so many Americans. And in the article, it, uh, it was describing how like 46 million adults over the age of 45 have said that they experienced loneliness. This is in the last census. It's, I'm sure it's way higher now. And that the, the youngest generation... The Z generation, those who are like 18 to 25, maybe, I don't know. They're the loneliest generation ever. They feel a lack of home and a lack of relationship. And um, that's a sad reality. And it's such a significant reality. Um, there's a little bit of a story in there that involved this woman who lived in Kenosha. Her name is Sally Hayward. She made national news this week because of loneliness. And she had moved from Florida after her husband died and her parents died to be with her brother who lives here in Kenosha. And for a while she felt, like this about 10 years ago, a little bit of sense of a connection 
because she was picking up his grandkids and taking them back and forth, and, and yet she started to get sick with her diabetes and her neuropathy, and then she had to stay home more and more, and then she was diagnosed with bipolar disorder, and then she stopped eating right, and then she didn't go out, and then she was wheelchair-bound, and she was so depressed and so alone that it was, it was a crisis for her. It wasn't until some of the folks in um, um, of the, uh, the services of uh, family and the aging right here put her in touch with this program called Being Well Connected that she started to recover from that and started to have a sense of community. But man, she was lonely until then, and now she's a person who gives and shares from some of what she received there. And I want to say that the church is meant to be that and more, right? Meant to be that and more, but we do have a real problem, and the problem of loneliness is that it's really hard to fix, and we've got some problems in our culture that make it even harder. One of the things I want to say about loneliness that um, one of the things that they pointed out in this article that I found fascinating and instructive was that loneliness is increased in an evolutionary way. And what they mean by that is the biggest predictor for loneliness next year is if you were lonely this year. Because what happens when you're lonely is you start to withdraw in a self-protective way. And then you don't step out in relationship. And then that makes you feel even more lonely. And this is true for people who actually live in so-called families but don't experience the sense of community that home life is supposed to bring. They're not actually communed with community, and so they feel alone. And there's a discrepancy between what their hearts long for and the loneliness they actually experience. And so by the next year, they've spent another year withdrawing in self-protection, and they're even more lonely. And it gets worse, and it's worse. And then we have this other problem that I want to just mention briefly, which is the solutions that we often punt to for dealing with our loneliness make it worse, right? We've got the biggest one that I want to address this morning is, is technology. Technology is the new medium. It's, we call it the media, right? Um, it's the thing that we have in our smartphones and on our computers and on our TVs, and it's the continuous connection there. And what is it mediating? It's, it's mediating maybe interest, so it's satisfying our curiosity. It's, it's maybe mimicking relationship in a sense so that actually people feel grieved and bereaved if you take their iPhone away. It's incredible what's happening. And yet it doesn't feed the relational need. So it's a huge deception. You're mediating something that is not relationship. And we call it media. And Jesus has a completely, completely different solution for us. It's a very human one, and yet in that it becomes divine. He has a different medium. It's his body that mediates relationship with the Father through the power of the Spirit and the things that are his words that we remember and the sacraments. He has a different medium. It's his self. It's his body given for us. And it's very down to earth in that sense. And he invites us to participate that in very down-to-earth ways. And that's how we come into his home. He even says his body is the temple, which is the house of God. That's how we come into his home, is by relating to him who is that place where we can be for relational need so we're not lonely. 
So he's done everything he can to provide for us a home. And the question is, will we go there? Of course, how do we go there? And Thomas does ask that question right after the passage that I just read. And, and um, you know, Thomas is an interesting guy. He's, he's, um, we'll talk about him a little bit later, but he's, he's very practical. And he wants to see, like, okay, so how do I get there? You know, you're going to where, you know, where are you going? We don't know where you're going. And Jesus says, I'm the way, I'm the truth, I'm the life. So if you want to have home, he's saying, you know, basically relate to me. And it will become true in your life. And you will have life. And all life is about relationship. And that's again and again and again and again what God is asking us to respond to is his overtures for relationship so that we can have our home life and our need for belonging met in him. So um, I think with, with the problems that we've got and the technology that makes it worse, we've got to do something. I do think that Jesus is inviting us to respond to a particular kind of a hospitality and um, it does mean that we have to let him establish home. We do have to let him be the head of home in our lives. And that means some changes, I think. It means um, that we actually finally need to really trust him to establish that home and sustain that home with his presence and with his words. I mean, that's the whole purpose for John writing the gospel that he wrote. So you can actually trust him that he is the Messiah who's come to save us and re return to us the gift of home, but he's also the Son of God. And then believing in him will have life, right? The, the reason is, he, the reason he wrote the gospel is so that we could trust in that plan. And I think there's some counter moves, right? If, if the, the natural course of events when we're lonely is that we're just gonna get lonelier, then we've gotta do something different. Instead of withdrawing, we've got to move in. Um, one thing that kind of hit me is that this, this evolution of loneliness, it reminded me of the way Lewis describes hell in The Great Divorce. For those of you who read it, you probably remember the way that he describes hell is that there's a bunch of people there and they move further and further away from each other, like millions of miles away from each other because relating to the real people there uh, it, was, it was too irritating, too bothersome. And so they became more and more lonely and more and more living in that hellish existence of no relationship. So Jesus has a different way of building and a different way of establishing home for us. And um, this home that I'm talking about has implications for, first of all, our bodies, our very selves. And he does say his temple is, his body is a temple, but there's also a lot of scriptural ways in which we have to think of our bodily existence as a temple. It's meant to be a place of communion with God that communicates into others as well. But it also has implications for our relationships within our homes, like say if we're married, or if we're being raised by fathers and mothers. It has implications for that context too. And then lastly, it has implications for the church or the assembly of the faithful. 
I think of it as like when, when Jesus talks about home, he, it's almost like Russian dolls. You know, the Russian dolls that you've got that everything is encased in the other. Like you've got the first, the, the outer Russian doll is this big Russian doll, right? And that's the, the, the obvious thing that you first set your eyes on. And when, I, I guess you could say maybe for, for Israel, the first thing that you would set your eyes on would be the temple of Israel where worship happened for the, the, the faithful who were gathered there in Jerusalem. And that's the big outer impact that, that Jesus really wants to give to us again is a place in a house of worship, a place where there's joy, a place where we meet with him. But he also wants it for our relationships with our spouses and our brothers and sisters. And that's sort of the next layer under. And then lastly, he wants it within our very bodies. And I think that there's some practical things that we can do in order to live out this intentional building of home that Jesus is bent on doing and still bent on doing. And the stakes are so high because if we don't do it somehow and don't enter into it, we're just going to be alone. And ultimately, Scripture defines that as death. And I will say one other thing about the study that I read is that Literally, loneliness is as dangerous to your physical health as heart disease. It's a heart problem, but it has a very physical impact. And so we have to somehow respond to the gift of home. Well, one of the first things that I remembered when I thought about the home that the Lord is establishing was um, one of the false stories of how home was built in John's gospel is that woman at Samaria, she's sitting at the well, and she's the one who has had five husbands, but really none of them are her husband. And um, she's been trying to build a home according to her own insight and according to her own desires, and it's, it's broken her. And she's actually very alone because of it. And Jesus' heart goes out to her. And he says, look, I know what you've been doing. And because you've been honest, I want to tell you that there's living water for you so you can have a real home here. And it's going to be inspired by my Holy Spirit in you. And it's going to well up within you. It's going to be living water. And you'll never have to keep returning to a, a cistern to be filled because it will be a gift from me within you. And it's expression of the Holy Spirit. But what, what I also think he's showing her is in that moment, he's saying the deep longings of your heart for loneliness that you've tried to meet the wrong way, the first thing I want to do is to say, I'm going to cleanse you of those errors. I'm going to cleanse you of the loneliness that that has wrought in your life and the guilt and even the shame that keeps you in a state of loneliness. It's just going to keep getting worse unless somehow the, the shame of being separate is healed and washed so that you can come back into the presence of God. The inner springs of your heart need to be cleansed. All the affections that led you to make bad decisions, like the decisions, for instance, that invest in a technological, like watching shows are worse on the internet. Those affections he can cleanse. He can cleanse so that you and your embodied life can know him and be set free, and then he can know you. One of the things that delights her is that she describes him as a prophet who knew everything about me. He knows you. He knows your heart. 
He knows your embodied existence. He knows the longings of your heart. He just actually wants you to confess them so that he can wash them clean with the water of his word. He wants to wash you. Um, one of the things that I, I have, um, I didn't know this too much before, but the, one of the things I'm learning about the sacrificial system in the, in the Old Testament is that the inner part of the sacrificial animal, the heart, the viscera, those are the Lord's. Those are the Lord's. And um, he receives all of it. And if it's not given all over to him, there is no sacrifice, and it's not accepted. Those are the Lord's, and what he's saying is, I, I want you, first of all, to confess that your heart has been misled, even by yourself, and you've tried to fill it with things that aren't filling. One of the things that he says to the um, apostles a little bit later in our gospel is that, you know, I want you to ask me, till now you've not asked for anything in my name, I want you to ask me. You have real deep longings in your heart and you know you've gone astray with them, but I want you to ask me and I will answer. So ask in my name. I want you to bear to me the inner springs of your heart so that I can wash them and reclothe them with real love and real holiness. I want to make of your life and your body a real home. One of the ways that we do that is in confession. This afternoon we're going to have confession in the Office of Reconciliation right up those stairs at 6 p.m. for a half hour. Father Steve and I will be available. But I wanted to just remind us that this is part of how we do it. It's also how we do it in, in our relationships to become confessional about the longings and to be real and have that real conversation so that the Lord can wash us and restore us and begin to build out of our lives a home. The next thing is, um, is, is, is um, in some ways, it... It just has to become embodied. And it has, that means that it has to become not just ideas. I think one of the things that you run into in our age is that I believe that Jesus is Lord, but I don't have to go to church. And I believe that Jesus is Lord, but I don't need to structure my day around prayer. I believe that Jesus is Lord, but, 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 whatever. And the end result is that the way that our lives are actually lived is in a stream of whatever happens. And usually that's dictated by our technology, right? And we don't stay with the Lord. And we don't remain with Him. And we don't have our home with Him. It, it has to become relational and it has to become lived out. In other words, this is not, these aren't just concepts that we have to agree with. They actually have to shape our lives. When he says, okay, if you, if you want to be my disciples, you're going to keep my words. If you love me, you will keep my words. And what he means by that isn't just that we're going to say the concepts of Jesus are good, and they're really good, and they're intellectually very, very appealing. No, he's saying, I want you to shape your life around it. It's supposed to be something that shapes you and by which you live. I mean, we're supposed to be living letters, right? And Jesus, when he decided to mediate God to us, he lived it out in his body, in his flesh, in his time, and in his space. And we, we just are so willy-nilly about it. There, there actually has to be structural impact here. I mean, Jesus said, didn't say a lot of things that were very obvious to the Hebrews. And in some ways, they became kind of works-driven 
But one thing that they got right, because it was what he had prescribed, was how you have to structure your life. And you do structure your life around relationship with God and relationship with Jesus. So I'm just going to give you a couple, couple examples, right? It's just embedded in John's gospel. It's a, it's a little bit more implicit than explicit. But one of the things that's true, for instance, about the, um, is the Israelites is that they would give time and they would give place to the Lord. And what that meant was that a seventh of their year was given to God in Sabbath and in feast at least a seventh. That's the way I'm going to describe it right now. So we've got, what do we have? We have Sunday, right? At least a seventh of your time is scheduled to be with God. And it was a very practical way, a way of saying, what's most important in your life? If you're going to establish a home, you have to have values. And what is most important? Well, if, if it's a godly home, it's God. <laughs> and our values right now are structured by whatever happens usually, whatever happens to happen. Maybe a little bit by our work, and then after that, whatever is inspired, which is usually, huh, that's interesting, huh, that's interesting, huh. Oh, man, I'm really hungry and lonely. Let's watch a show. And then that's how our life is often structured. And so we don't enter into this on a regular basis, and we don't make the time. One of the things that just blew me away is that we spend 12 hours on average, Americans spend 12 hours a day using the media that I just described. 12 hours! On average, Americans spend one hour, no, three hours a week in church. That's a really big difference. I mean, it's like infinitesimal. In terms of time, um, there's no comparison. It's just, it's, it's pathetic. And then, then we're pathetic in the sense of really sad and lonely. And how much we spend even on that, that media, by the way. We spend about 2.5% on average as Americans of our money on the church. That's probably putting it generously. But we spend at least 10% and probably closer to 25% on things like technology based upon the averages. Is, it, is, is, is the Lord the cornerstone of your home? That's the question I'm asking. Is my life structured in such a way that I am demonstrating it? Well, the, the Lord did give Israel, I mean, they had a temple, and the most holy place was the place where you met with God. And in order to return there, you had to be confessing your sins, and then you could come back and then relate to him, and then you were to do it at least a seventh of the time of the year. Um, this is... This is a, a really intense counter-move, and it is countercultural. If we want to have a home, a sense of belonging with the Lord. And it's a true home, one that doesn't end. And it requires a change in our prioritizations. You know, I had, to, I had to recently get help on this myself because I was doing that. I was just letting whatever came across my texting dictate how my day was going to be. So I wasn't, I wasn't properly ordering it. I mean, the way the disciples used to order their day would, would be like morning and evening prayer. And I would order it based upon what came across my texting. And I think with the bleeding away of boundaries between home and work, for instance, that's happening a lot. And so Karen, um, 
Karen Cassidy and my wife ganged up on me and they said, you're gonna change the structure of your life so that you don't become really dried up and desiccated. We actually do need you to be a living word, right? Not just somebody who tells true concepts, but lives it out and embodies it. And so we want you to take this chunk of time and a schedule it. And I want you to lock down your technology so that you actually have walls, boundaries around the garden of your life so that you can have a home in Jesus. And that's, I just had to do it. And I am doing it. I'm still learning, like, how not to, because I, I, I my, my brain is so trained. It's like, I have the, raw, the wall's in the wrong place. My brain is so trained to pick up the phone. You know? And I, um, man, I just had to make a counter move. Do something really countercultural here in order to have home with the Lord. And, um, and they, they've helped me to do that. Things need to be different, and the proportions of our life need to be different. And I want to say, for a lot of us, it's more, we actually need much more than just Sunday and the seventh. We need every possible chance we can to have fellowship with a brother and sister, a real-life, human-to-human embodied fellowship. So if you have a chance to meet with a brother or sister, and you choose to stay home with your show or your Netflix, I'm going to say most of the time that's not going to be right, unless it's with your family. Most of the time, because of what I'm seeing, that's not going to be right. So I want you to choose relational ways. Because this isn't just about saying no to technology, it's also about saying yes to relationship. It's relationship with the Lord and relationship with one another. And we need one another to be these living words. Uh, one of the things that happened for me this week was I, I, I got to enjoy some of that fellowship and we heard some stories about people who had, had, um, had really met the Lord and he had spoken to them real, live, living words and it, it changed their life and they became like a living word. I mean, they were just not just saying the words anymore, they're glowing with the words and there's this kind of like a joy infection going around the room as we shared these words because we were building home together and it was like Jerusalem as a joy, as our Old Testament put it. Joy was being built. That was, we were filling up the space that could have been consumed with being alone, being with our technology, with relationship. And that's what we see with Jesus in constant relationship with the Father, constantly listening to the Father's words and then giving them to us. And we can have that. We need to learn it from one another. You might not know how to do that, so let me ask you, if you don't know how to do that, to ask me how to do that, how to hear from the Lord. And we'll help you in relationship. It's not just a methodology, it's not just a technique, it happens in relationship. And um, I wanna say just two more things, because I've gotta close, I've been going too long. I mean, how we build our home. There's, there's so many things that go into building a home. Thank God, Jesus is the architect, and he's the great builder, and he is building a home here. There's a couple other things. One of the ways in which we really get connected, one of the ways in which you can really come together, and th this is also proven by study, it isn't just words and isn't just relationship, it's actually sung. And that's one of the interesting things about the, the tradition of being a Christian and the tradition of being Jewish, is that when we sing the praises to the Lord that are due his name, he actually inhabits those praises, and there's a home then. There's a home with Jesus. And it's actually uniting our hearts with him in such a deep and powerful way. 
He ministers to us in a way with the bread and the wine which really feeds us and and with the spirit that is like water and we enter into that and celebrate that in such a powerful way when we sing and when we sing things that are true. It somehow is a powerful way of communing with God and really being mediated into a true home. So I want to invite you tonight to that at Oasis. It's part of who we are is to, to sing this reality. It's another chance of being in relationship with God in his home, in his house. The last thing I will just hint at, which is we really need the Holy Spirit for this. I've got some very practical things here to do, but what Jesus says to the apostles, he says, I'm going in order to come, and you're not gonna be alone, and the way you're gonna know is the Holy Spirit's gonna be in you bearing witness. And you'll realize within that I am in the Father, the Father is in me, and we are in you, and you have your home in me. And it's a pure gift, but it's a gift that we can quench, or it's a gift that we can enjoy. It says that the uh, apostles dedicated 10 solid days to prayer. They devoted it to prayer. And the Holy Spirit came in power. It's kind of like the sacrifice of Jesus was being accepted and then this light fell from heaven and lit it up in the Pentecost of the church and the Holy Spirit changed all of us into a home here on earth of the Lord forever. And we need the Holy Spirit and we need to take some times that are utterly devoted to prayer together. And that's gonna come. That's part of who we need to become if we're gonna be in the home that Jesus has established in his body. Let us pray. Lord, I thank you that you have taught us so many things about what real life consists of relating to you, leaning into your heart, being healed through the washing of your spirit, and and just um, having our lives restructured according to the culture of heaven, according to the culture of true home. Lord, a lot of us really are suffering from loneliness and will be tempted to withdraw again. And I pray, Lord Jesus, that through your spirit, you would prompt a counter move in their lives today. A choice that would say, I enter into relationship and then I abide in relationship. And whatever it takes, I will be real. If I had to make confession, I will come. Because you are inviting us to come. And your spirit is inviting us to come and remain with you. Lord, I pray that you would transform us. I pray that you would transform our attitude towards our time and our money that we would see that you are the most important thing and that our lives would be living letters saying you are the most important thing and that all of our other relationships too. Lord, there's so much on our hearts that we need your help with and we can't do it apart from you. Nothing happens apart from you. So we ask for your spirit and we ask for your building genius to be at work in our midst that we would abide in you forever. Amen.